0: We'll be talking about the impact of gun violence in this podcast. If this is a difficult topic for you, please take care when listening.
1: Columbine High School, fall 1998. Seniors were planning their future, filling out college applications, stressing over their personal essays, and dreaming of what comes next.
0: But the two Columbine perpetrators were making plans of their own. They wanted to acquire guns, but they weren't 18 yet. So they asked a friend to purchase guns for them. Rob and Anderson bought two shotguns and one rifle at a local gun show. While other students at Columbine learned how to drive. The killers learned how to shoot. Their classroom, Rampart Range.
1: Spring approached and kids were imagining prom and playing outdoor sports.
0: But the perpetrators were imagining destruction and playing God. They called it Judgment Day. April 20th, 1999, here was the plan. Students would fill the cafeteria at lunchtime and at least seven bombs would detonate at 1117. The building would collapse and hundreds would be killed. The explosions and fire would send students and faculty running for their lives and out of the school, but directly into a trap. The killers would be waiting at the exits, armed with their semi-automatic weapons. 45 minutes later, when everyone thought it was over, the perpetrator's cars would explode, killing first responders, students, journalists, and anyone else in the area. The final piece of their plan, To have fun. Nothing went as expected.
1: My name is Amy Over. And this is Confronting Columbine.
2: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment.
0: I'm Nancy Glass, and I am so proud to introduce the host of our second Confronting series, Amy Over. She is incredible. And Amy, you're going
1: to take on a colossal topic, Confronting Columbine. Thank you so much, Nancy. I'm really happy to be on this journey. I was a senior in high school in 1999 during the Columbine massacre, and now I'm turning 40. I'm not going to lie, it takes a long time to process trauma like this. And now I have so many questions about the things that happened then. We lost 13 people that day. There's been so much residual trauma for survivors like me. It's taken me two decades to work through it. I'm so ready to confront it now.
0: That's really something. We're going to meet a lot of people from Columbine, and we're going to go to your school. We're going to hear stories that have never been shared before. But first, let's hear yours.
1: I remember my freshman year just moving from Tacoma, Washington to Littleton, Colorado. Columbine was a whole new world for me. It was a big high school and I was really nervous but excited to meet new people and kind of start fresh. Through sports like cross country and basketball, I was able to jump right in.
0: Amy's mom, Diane.
1: She
3: was a wire too and she was very social. But- she was not a good student. I mean, she loved going to school. She hardly ever missed school, but it wasn't for the academics. She had to go to every prom, you know. She was involved in everything at school, and she enjoyed her friends and had lots of boys at the house. I used to call her the Rose Queen because I never thought I could get as many flowers and stuff.
0: And her best friend Emily remembers some memorable times.
4: She was just different from the get-go. She wore these like tube socks with stripes at the top and she always wore her ponytail like on the very top of her head and it was just such a different look and she seemed so kind of confident. She showed up at cross-country practice and I think we ended up running together. I can even like see the path and like the trees around. We were often together after practices and eventually when I got my driver's license, I just picture her in the passenger seat of my white. Corolla. We went everywhere in it. She would ride around in the passenger side and it didn't have a radio. So I had to put in this little black portable cassette tape thing. So Amy would hold that in her lap and we would blast music. That's the thing about Amy is she made things that seemed kind of trashy and kind of not expensive seem like fun and funny. She had that way of making you feel good about things that were even kind of dorky and broken.
0: It
1: seemed like you really liked high school. Tell me about your senior year. I was on top of the world. I had a great group of friends, teachers. I mean, I literally had the perfect year. It started out just amazing, and the class of 1999 was really close. Parties and all of our pep rallies that we had, It was so fun, and I was really involved in a lot of social activities and sports. I ran track and cross country and played basketball. I was always at a tournament or a track meet on the weekends and hung out with my friends. I had a really close-knit group of friends growing up, so my world just felt safe. For the most part, I was a pretty happy kid. My senior year, I guess my biggest worry was what college I was going to go to. I would say after Christmas, all my friends were getting letters that they were going to big colleges, and I hadn't yet received anything. So I was a little stressed out and worried about my future and kind of felt discouraged. Uh, I was just confused, didn't know where I was going to go to college. So tell me about the day that all turned around for you. April 20th, 1999. It was a beautiful, crystal clear day out. That morning, my coach, Dave Sanders, told me to uh, come pop into his room when I got to school. So I went into Dave's room and it was just me and him for about five minutes. Dave was like, well, you're gonna go play basketball. Did you know he was working on a scholarship for you? I didn't know that he had got me a scholarship. He's like, this is your dream. I told him, thank you. And I told him I was really sorry for the way I had behaved during the season. I mean, he had to deal with all of us girls and our hormones. He had benched me a couple times because of my attitude. I wasn't trying at practice, and he benched me one day. I got to apologize, I got to tell him I love him and I got to tell him thank you for being my mentor how did he take that he was just so receptive to my apology and he told me I deserved this and he was so proud of me and that he would come and watch me I felt like everything had fallen into place I thanked him again and gave him a big hug and went on with my day it was pretty much a typical Tuesday but it was such an exciting day because I had just got this great news. And then I went to a couple of my classes. After science class, I went down to the cafeteria, the commons area, and I had a couple minutes of just like telling my peers and my boyfriend that I had gotten the scholarship. They were all so excited for me. The past couple days before that, I remember going to the library a lot. I didn't go to the library that day because I had this great news. So I went down with all my friends and we were about to grab lunch and I started hearing some popping sounds. I remember my boyfriend at the time, we went over to the window and started looking out the window because I thought there was a fight or something was going on and then All of a sudden, Coach Sanders tells us to get away from the windows, that there's a shooting. We all kind of scatter around.
0: Two young men apparently dressed in long black trench coats, open fire at a high school just outside of Denver in Littleton, Colorado. Uh, At least three students have been injured. Where did you go? What did you do?
1: I go by the main door and hide under a table with a girl, and I can't breathe. I just remember not being able to breathe. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I can't breathe! I can't breathe! Am I gonna die? Are we gonna die?" The sounds start getting louder, and they're screaming. It's utter chaos. Jefferson County 911. Yes, I am a teacher at Columbine High
3: School. There is a
2: student here with a gun. He has shot out a window. Okay, um, has anybody
3: been injured? Ma'am? Yes. Okay. Yes. and the school is in a panic. The students down.
1: It feels like forever that I was under that table. I was just terrified that they were going to come through that door. I remember holding onto my backpack and I was watching Dave because he was on this platform overlooking the cafeteria. He's kind of guiding everybody, telling everyone to get down, telling everyone to be quiet.
0: When did you realize this was a life and death situation?
1: Being coached by him for so long, I knew something was really bad. I could see the concern in his face. I was scared, immediately just terrified. I kept praying that the shooters wouldn't come through the door. If they would have, I would have been shot. And then I remember Dave saying, run. Go. I could see the fear in his eyes. That was my chance to get out. And I was like, I'm going to die. I got to get the hell out of here. I then decided in a split second to go out that front entrance door. As I was running out, we were being shot at. I ran as fast as I could past the junior parking lot and then I ran down this big hill and I'm in these like platform shoes because that was really popular back then. So I couldn't run fast because of these stupid shoes I had on. And I kind of followed the masses. I remember just having a lot of guilt because I kind of shielded myself with my peers because it was terrifying. We took a right. We started just frantically knocking on doors and finally, I think it was the third or fourth house in, they opened the door and I pushed my way into their home. Um, And I remember just hiding under a stranger's coffee table. Now, I know that stranger was Lou Martin. I finally had the courage to go see him. Hi, how are you? Fine. Thank you, Uh, I think I ran into your house like 21 years ago. I was a senior at Columbine High School the day of the mass shooting. I hid in your house with a bunch of kids.
3: A bunch of kids running down the street, and they asked if they could come in. Yeah. came in, and they made some phone calls.
1: Yeah, we were getting shot at as we were running out, so. Well,
3: I heard some pops, so I knew something might be happening. I assumed there was some kind of standoff up there. And uh, I had no idea that, that many kids had been murdered. You, you don't forget those things. No. But uh, they, the fact that they were running up the street and they were scared was uh, enough to open the door and let them come in.
1: I remember knocking on multiple doors.
3: Yeah. Because the time had happened, not too many people were home.
1: But you guys let us in. Yeah.
3: You know, I mean, I think anybody would have done the same
4: thing.
1: Wow, this is surreal. I remember hiding somewhere under a coffee table, just being scared and just to be able to see who who, who let me in that day and was so generous to, to let a bunch of scared kids invade their home. <laughs> I mean, we literally shoved our way in and and were scared, but I felt safe when I walked into your house. I felt safe.
3: The school up there was, was closed. It was a crime scene for yeah. months. Yeah. No. This is where it happened. You know?
1: I appreciate your time and letting us come in. And I thank you so much for this closure.
3: Good to talk to you.
1: When he shut the doors and we were all in there, it was like, I'm alive. I made it. I could breathe. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I know that for me, PTSD can sometimes shut me down before I even try something new. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash confronting. That's BetterHelp.com and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available. Schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room like with traditional therapy. And there's a special offer for confronting Columbine listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, that's h e l p.com/confronting. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. This episode
0: is brought to you by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now, wherever books are sold. That must've been incredible to finally know you were safe. So
1: what did you do next? Did you call your parents? I remember calling my mom and I said, mom, there's been a shooting, I'm okay. And then I hung up. And then one of my friends saw a group of us walking and she said get in and so there was a group of us that got in the car she took me home and my mom was on the front porch waiting for me and she said it was like a clown car and i guess a bunch of us just flew out of the car you know news had gotten a hold of it there were helicopters everywhere the internet wasn't big then most people didn't have cell
0: phones so the only news available was on your TV. Did you find yourself glued?
1: We started watching the news. You're watching this unfold, and I'm safe, but my peers are hanging out of windows. I remember seeing on the screen like 40-something dead, and then it would go to like 30 dead, and it was really terrifying. The next day, we finally got like a gist of what the totals were.
2: The worst high school shooting in U.S. history. Two teenagers killed a teacher and 12 fellow students at Colorado's Columbine High and they also wounded two dozen others before committing suicide.
1: I do remember the night of the shooting going over to one of my basketball friends' houses. We were finding out that Coach Sanders was not accounted for. We were a mess. The media really invaded and was intrusive on our privacy.
3: I think it was Mike Wallace. Whoever was on CBS wanted to interview her. And she had said yes. And then later on that day, she goes, I can't do it. You know, she was so traumatized, she couldn't do it. I don't know how these people even contacted her. But she had a phone number. So I called the phone number with some receptionist at CBS And I told her that he was too traumatized to do that interview. And she got kind of rude with me. And uh, the next morning at 5 o'clock in the morning, some chauffeur showed up at my door to pick her up. And I, I said, I told you no. And I slammed the door in his face.
1: My mom was just trying to protect me. There was literally reporters jumping out of bushes to have a conversation with us we were grieving in a fishbowl.
3: I think it was called Seattle Today or something like that. They had asked her to come and There was about seven kids or so on that panel. After Amy came home, I go, do you realize you're the only kid there that hadn't been shot? All these kids on this panel were shot. They all lived through it, but she got a lot of attention and I never could
4: figure out why they zeroed in on her. I do remember feeling protective of her, because her mom could be harsh and kind of immature, too, with the way that she was interacting with you know, a 15-year-old. But then it was also clear that Amy was really important to her. But she was also clear, even when we were teenagers, that she was jealous of Amy. Maybe some of the attention from the massacre could be overwhelming. I don't know if, in that case, she was trying to tell Amy to toughen up Or if it was another case of kind of, there's a lot of attention on you, like you weren't shot, get over yourself.
0: Why was this different for the senior class?
1: The class of 1999, we graduated. So we didn't get to go back to the school and have that sense of community. We were essentially... Kind of thrown out into the world after going through a trauma and people were like okay well good luck you're graduated and it's time for you to move on with your lives but i do remember all the churches kind of came together to give us a gathering place our teachers were there parents could go but media wasn't allowed in so it was kind of like our safe space that we could go to and be with each other I came home from one of the church events that we had had, and those were really kind of exhausting and overwhelming. I felt like I had to go to everything in every event. But like my family, they didn't go to a lot of those with me. The people I wanted most was my mom and dad. I remember I came home and my mom was sitting there and she had a beer in her hand and she's like, are you okay? And I was like, "I." Yeah, I think I'm okay. And um, she's like, do you want a beer? (laughs) I was like, yeah, I I would like a beer. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I sat with my mom and we didn't watch any of the Columbine footage. We just sat and drank a beer together. I don't think she knew how to handle me.
0: And what about your dad?
1: My dad is a Vietnam vet, and I remember him coming up to me and crying and saying, you know, what you had gone through was just like Vietnam and I'm so sorry you went through this. And he just grabbed me and hugged me, and I needed that. But after things moved on, it was kind of like, okay, Amy, you need to move on. So I didn't have, like, a ton of support as far as my immediate family.
3: I don't know how many people have gone through a school shooting, you know, and I didn't realize how bad she was. And I told her, just get over it saying that to her. This is probably my biggest regret.
1: Afterwards, like after everything kind of settled down, nobody ever asked how I was doing. After the funeral, everyone expects you just to move on. And I couldn't move on. My coach had just died. Now I'm like, what, what do I do? I felt like my whole life in an instant immediately changed. And I wasn't the same, and I would never be the same again. The day after Coach Sanders was buried, I went on my recruiting trip to the college, and I had to go play basketball.
0: That had to have been difficult.
1: I was, you know, a mess, but I went and I played pretty well, considering I had just gone through this and just saw my coach's body. That night, I got to stay with a couple of the basketball players. I remember sleeping on the top bunk, and they weren't particularly happy that I was coming to the college. The girls were talking trash about me. They thought I was asleep. At that moment, I felt that I was truly different. I was like, I'm the girl from Columbine now, and I wish I wasn't.
0: So Amy, why have you decided to share your story now?
1: I don't want anyone to ever forget about Columbine and the survivors and the community. It was a pivotal point in history. It wasn't the first mass shooting, but the scale of the trauma and the scale of the crime, it needs to be confronted. My sense of security was gone. You know, you're a mass shooting survivor. Welcome to the club. It's a club nobody wants to be a part of. I asked myself if I was a good person, why did this happen to me? Why did I get to survive and my peers and my coach didn't? This is a lifelong journey and I'm never going to be the same from this experience. Did you know that 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair? If you're among them, you're not alone, and there's a solution you can trust to deliver results. Thousands of women have taken back control of their hair with Nutrafol, with many users raving that their supplement not only transformed their hair, but restored their confidence too. Healthier hair growth takes time. You'll begin to experience thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair in three to six months. More than 1,500 top doctors recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high quality solution for healthier hair. Grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code CONFRONTING to save 20% off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping on every order. Get 20% off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com promo code confronting. We are at Clement Park right now. It's on the back side of Columbine High School. And it's at the edge of the foothills, the gateway to the Rocky Mountains. And it's just beautiful, it's green, there's tons of trees, it's gorgeous here. It's also where the Columbine Memorial sits. It's really just a special place that all of us spent a lot of time either playing sports or going on dates, you know, walking around the lake. This is such a beautiful gathering place where we can come together as a community and remember the lives lost that day. Kelly Ann Fleming, her stone is beautiful because it, it has her works of art and her poetry and it's, it's just beautiful. Rest in peace. Daniel Mauser, I've had the privilege of working with Daniel Mauser's dad and how he copes with this. He wears his son's shoes and uh, That's really powerful. Matthew Ketcher was an amazing athlete. He played football. I remember my high school boyfriend, it just destroyed him um, because he was really close with Matthew. Kyle Albert Velasquez. I remember him always having a smile on his face and he was so sweet. It says here he loves his cats and a life that was taken away. John Tomlin, he was 16. I heard he was a big Packers fan here in Broncos territory. I think he was originally from Wisconsin. I love that there are fresh flowers. I love that there are fresh flowers here on every single one. There's just pieces of history of what happened at Columbine. Steve Kerr now. He really wanted to become a naval aviator. He loved flying. Wow, sounds like he did a lot in his young life. Corey DePooter, he loved the outdoors, camping with his family. He just turned 17. I didn't want it to become an officer in the Marine Corps. Cassie Bernal, she loved to go skiing and snowboarding. Oh, here's Danny Rohrbach, he was a freshman. His mom says, beautiful blue eyes that would light up the room. Always quick with a comforting hug. Oh, I loved Isaiah Scholes. Oh, he it was so cute and little and stocky and had the biggest smile on his face. <laughs> he was always high-fiving people in the hallways and stuff. He was like this little ball of energy. He was one of my favorite and I loved him. Lauren Townsend, she was a brilliant girl. She was beautiful. It's such a peaceful place. It's, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful, but it's just really hard. I, I haven't been here in a really long time. It's been like three years since I've been here. I've read each one of their stones before, but I don't know, like it just, it's hitting me different today. Rachel Scott. She said, just passing by, just coming through, not staying long. She had a premonition, I think. She always had a smile on her face and was just a beautiful person. This one is uh, especially hard for me because this was um, William Dave Sanders, uh, my basketball coach. You want to talk about someone that gave his hours to you no matter what, I mean, I remember one time he went into the girls' locker room because my dad and I had gotten in a really big fight and I wasn't coming out and he came in there and he just hugged me. He showed me so much compassion and love and leadership. He taught me how to be a leader. He's just just an amazing man and he gave his life that day and he saved my life that day. And I miss him so much. I wish I could show him the person that I've become because of him. I can't speak for all survivors, but this is what I put on my Facebook page every April 20th, is that you're a Columbine rebel for life, and no one can take that away from you.
0: Amy, what has life been like for you since Columbine? You have a family of your own now.
1: I met my husband, Curtis, when I was 19 years old and uh, was my parents' banker, actually. (laughs) And uh, he he took such great care of me. We've been married for 19 years, but together for 21, and we have two beautiful children. But it has not been easy for Curtis being married to me. About 10 years ago, we were driving my daughter to preschool for the first time. And she had her cute little outfit on, her little backpack. pigtails and giant bows in her hair. I was obsessed with bows, and she had little curly hair, and she was so cute. I was excited for her. She's going to school, oh my gosh, she's a big girl. I took a picture. Say cheese. Cheese. Her and I got a picture together, and then we got a family picture, so it was really cute. And then, um, I walk into the school and we're standing by her door for her to go into the classroom, and all of a sudden I feel this heaviness in my chest. I have tunnel vision, and I almost feel like I'm gonna faint. I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And in an instant, I was back under that table. We get to the hospital and you know they run a bunch of tests on me and the doctor said well is there anything going on or do you have any like past trauma or are you going through anything and I was like well I'm a Columbine survivor and he's like have you ever had a panic attack before? The light bulb went off.
4: We were driving once and she started to have a panic attack while she was driving these windy mountain roads. She's talking really fast, she's flustered, like she can't quite focus on one thing. She's panicked, she's looking all over the place for a way out. So we had to pull over. I still thought she could control it with some breathing or something, but she had to take medication to calm herself down. Her trigger reaction to something that was stressful or tense was to escape. And that wasn't Amy. The reason that she was so likable in high school was because she could go with the flow with things. So this has
1: been something that I've dealt with in my recovery for years and years. Um, I have so much anger that this happened to me. Curtis has had to deal with my angry outbursts and we have a name for my alter ego and Kurt calls it Hank. (laughs) That's the angry alter ego is is Hank.
2: We sort of figured out how to keep Hank at bay. That's a year and a half ago. You know, she was 38 years old at the time. She's been struggling with this since she was 18. 20 years of trying to figure it out. Successes and failures and blow-ups and recoveries. She jumped out of my car in the middle of the road one time and just beat it in the wrong direction. Like got a busy road. She overreacts and takes things to the extreme. It's been really stressful, you know? She's mad at times about the situation, but she's crushing it. And I'm really proud of her. And I appreciate her.
1: I've put the work in for my mental health and my mental wellness, but after 21 years, there's some stuff in my journey and my healing that I apparently still need to work on. There are some demons that I have that I want to confront. Like what? Right after the shooting, I remember the FBI coming to our house, and I remember him saying that I was on a hit list. And that's all I remember, like I am dying to know if there was this hit list. And was my name on it?
0: Why does it matter to you whether you were on a list or not?
1: Just the idea of them wanting me dead, it still haunts me to this day. I have this reoccurring dream of one of the shooters with his trench coat, with his automatic weapon. He found me in the hallway and I'm trying to unlock doors and I can't get into any of the doors and he's walking slowly trying to find me, just trying to kill me. I would have nightmares of me under the table, not being able to run, not being able to get away. And I think finding out more about this list will help bring me some closure and healing.
0: So speaking of healing, how did you get through your anger at your mother? Because I know when we first met, that was still weighing pretty heavily on you.
1: Uh, When I talk about my mom, I cry.
0: (laughs) What's making you so emotional right now?
1: My mom's dying of cancer right now. I've been battling cancer for the last year. I had a weird red blood
3: count. Then, you know, I started having other tests and ended up having stage four rectal cancer. I don't think I'll live a lot longer, but I was hoping to get another four or five years.
4: I think she wants things to be good for her mom, but I'm not surprised that, like, things have come up there. And so it seemed like she was trying to amend that a lot as an adult, but no, I can see how there's a lot of hurt that's following her around.
1: For a long time, I was pissed off at my family. But she did the best she could. And I can't hold on to like any regret or anger.
0: That sounds both painful and hopeful. What else are you confronting in this series?
1: We graduated six weeks after the unprecedented massacre of our own classmates. We went to 13 funerals and then walked for graduation so many of us stumbled out into the world. In this series, you'll hear the truth about what happened to us long after the cameras were gone. I'm going back to Columbine to find answers. The FBI told me I was on a hit list. Did the killers really want me dead?
4: Harris and Klebold both had several hit lists. There was more than one. I'll
1: find out why my beloved coach died and face the first responder who made the call on who to save first. Why were my friends and classmates trapped for hours instead of being rescued?
2: You ask yourself, did I do the right thing? I don't know. I'll be judged somewhere down the road by it.
1: I'll talk to one of my heroes, a boy who was shot six times, but just wouldn't give up.
4: He kept telling me, pretend you're dead, and I'm like, I'm already on it, and I'm spreading blood, trying to make it look like I bled out and struggled.
1: And you'll hear from the FBI profiler who realized the impact of Columbine would last forever. What I saw with this case demonstrated to me predatory behavior. And predatory behavior means you're hunting human beings. One of my best friends will finally tell me what happened to him, a story he's never been able to share.
4: The only thing I heard out of her mouth was, where's your brother? I absolutely should have known where he was and I should have been there to protect him as his big brother.
1: And I'm going to explore how one of my peers, someone we thought had it all together, just couldn't recover from the trauma he experienced that day.
2: There was one focus, and that was to try to save a life. That forever haunted him.
1: I'm airing it all out. Every demon, every suppressed emotion, and every delayed trauma. It's time to confront Columbine. on the next episode of Confronting Columbine.
4: We finally get to see what the hell this game's about, and we're watching them load, and then that's when the popping started, and they, they unloaded towards the building. Well, I didn't realize this I
2: was a moving target.
1: For more information on The Rebels Project, or to donate, please go to therebelsproject.org, and see me there. Want to know more about The Confronting Podcast? Please follow us at ConfrontingPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for photos, additional content, and discussions about the podcast. We are all confronting something, and I look forward to continuing the discussion from our episodes over social media with all of you. If you enjoyed this one, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for going on this journey with me. Confronting Columbine was produced and hosted by me, Amy Over. Executive produced by Nancy Glass, Andrea Gunning, Ben Fetterman, and Carrie Hartman. Produced by Julie Clark, associate producer Trey Morgan. Editing by senior audio editor Matt Dovecchio, editor Drew Wallace, and Dean Welch. With production assistance from Megan Paisley and Brianna Fars. Other members of the production team include Kristen Melchiori, Pete Ward, and Natalie Thomas. Music and original composition by Mide Music. Confronting Columbine was produced by Glass Entertainment Group, Glass Podcasts in partnership with Wondering.
2: Hey, everybody, I'm James. I'm Jimmy. You definitely want to hear us on Small Town Murder, our crazy podcast about murder in small towns. Pretty yeah. aptly named. And what do you think of when you think of a small town? Oh, um, uh, a terrifying. A Terrifying murder. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> See, you know. And that's what we have for you chock full of it every week. We have two episodes a week, one regular on Thursdays and one express a little shorter episode on Fridays where you're going to hear the craziest stories from small towns. We'll talk a little bit about the town to give you a setting yeah. and then we'll get into some of the wildest, craziest murders you've ever heard of. Mixing in some humor here yeah. to cut the darkness. Keep it light. Just a little bit and keep it light. You definitely want to join us there twice a week. You can't. B to come and join a Small Town Murder podcast. Subscribe today. Follow Small Town Murder on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Small Town Murder early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.